This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. We have a, a gentleman that I met. Uh, his name is John Cole, and uh, he's a, a part genius, a part uh, 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 he cares about our country, cares about uh, our food supply, cares about our energy supply, and um, uh, let's see what he has to say. Uh, John Cole, are you there? I am here, We're uh, here. Mr. Yes. Yeah, you you're here with me and Curtis. It's easier to say Curtis and Katsimatidis. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, how about is this actually Curtis Sliwa, the uh, the man, the myth, the legend? The myth. The myth. Yeah. Yes. But it does exist. <laughs> that is correct. You were, you were one of my idols in the '80s when I was studying martial arts. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Now, I, I, you have a lot of concerns. I get a lot of emails from you, and uh, you have yeah. concerns about our grid system. You have concerns about our food system. And, we're, we're, you know, we're going into New Year's. Tell us, what is your concerns right now? The, the biggest concern I have is that we in America have no food security. Okay, and most Americans aren't aware of that because we we just go to the store and the food's always there. Food security is a mixture of food production and food accessibility. In our system, our accessibility is delivered by a just-in-time delivery system um, throughout the world. And so if we actually look at it, if our supply chain collapses, us, especially us in the um, in the New York area and the East Coast, no longer have food delivered. You know those days when the um, you know when the uh, dairy was around the corner are gone. Now, the average unit of food in America is delivered about one thousand five hundred. Fifty percent of our food is imported. So if we lose our supply chain, we lose that fifty percent imported. Of the 50% we grow, the vast majority is west of the Mississippi, and it's delivered just in time to New York. New York takes in 400 uh, million tons of cargo, 90% by truck. And and cats, you know, you're a genius in 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 oil and and petroleum. What happens when that stops? Right? You have eight million people living on um, on the uh, um, in New York City on the island. That, that food has to move, you know, well for for eight million people not to have a problem. That's correct, and we have we have approximately uh, approximately a two week delay. If the system breaks, we have to fix it within two two weeks before the majority of Americans run out of food. And and there's the there's the problem. We don't have enough local food grown that we could could supply regional population centers if the system breaks. Now, unfortunately, our system is so easy to break that our enemies know it. Very easy to break it. Now, lately, and uh, one of our other uh, hosts, uh, 
uh, he's on my 5 o'clock hour, uh, Deputy Mayor Rudy Washington, has been pointing out a lot of facility, food facilities around the country have been burning down, uh, planes crashing into them. Have you heard about that? I have, and we've been monitoring it. It's very difficult to find out what the total percentage is. But, yes, we've seen over 100 events uh, in, in America alone of, of uh, food production facilities basically going offline. Right? And, and if we actually take a global look at it, the largest bread baskets um, would, would be one is the American mid, uh, Midwest, which is going through a three-year drought. And this is this is um, this is severely affecting uh, our crops, but but think about it this way: we've had weather manipulation since uh, Vietnam, right? And so, uh, why is it that we're not making rain in a drought situation when we have the uh, the ability to do so? So somebody is manipulating this. And then the, the next biggest breadbasket is Ukraine. Ukraine is a huge breadbasket for Europe. Right. And of course, that's at war and is shut down. And then we get to Holland, which uh, produces about 20 percent of Europe's food. The Dutch are incredibly industrious on on farming. And the Dutch government is uh, closing down 3000 farms, claiming that uh, they have to reduce the nitrogen um, for climate change. And their their goal is to close down 17000 farms, 30 percent of the farming. So, so there's an attack on food production. Now, now John, um, I was over in Israel. There were two things that struck me years ago. I was there for the second intifada. So nobody was there. It's like no tourists were there at all. So I had the run of the country from the Golan Heights down to a lot stopped in Bethlehem and I oversaw the Valley and one of the Christian uh, Palestinians explained to me, he said, you know, Curtis, when I was a boy and grew up there, that was a desert. It was nothing. Now there were orchards. Uh, as far as the eye could see, it was plentiful with citrus. Are we going to have to start reverting to those ways of turning desert areas, which are massive now all over the world and growing like every day, uh, into what I saw uh, atop of Bethlehem? I would say, yes, our technology is the point where we can do do a lot of things to improve um, uh, food production. And, of course, the Israelis are, are, are quite genius at it, um, turning desert into farmland. Um, but, but for us in the city areas, we have to put up what I would call um, um, a, a stunning amount of small, sustainable, EMP-proof, farms so that we have 20% of our food grown locally. If we have 20% of our food grown locally and the systems break, we still survive until we can fix the system. But right now, if the systems break, you have two weeks. Well, we saw, John, Detroit, uh, because of all the devastation there, I mean, it was just a, a hulk of a city. At one time, it was uh, it was not a city of public housing projects. It was a city of private homes and then just empty, abandoned lots. And they said that they were going to turn it into urban farmland. Is that practical and pragmatic? Um, I would say 
the big picture, no. Um, you can do spot farmlands. And for instance, we, we are watching the entire change in our, um, in our uh, retail purchasing with um, uh, shopping malls going bankrupt. You can easily turn those into hydroponic uh, farms. And, and of course, they're centrally located, which is ideally where you want your food production. So there are many opportunities, but it has to go to the capitalists um, because it's always an investment. And unfortunately, you know, we, we kind of look at the government to say, well, uh, hey, we have a problem. We don't have food security, except for the government. Well, my personal opinion can't really fix much of anything except for um, <laughs> corruption. They, they, they create it quite nicely. Can the uh, old-fashioned kibbutz of Israel, which was created by the socialists, the left-wingers, be expanded and actually work to the benefit, especially of third-world countries? Absolutely. And you can actually modify that, Curtis, where you make it a capitalistic kibbutz. Mm. Okay. You take the concept of how to work together, but you have to put it into a capitalistic formula. We're capitalists, so we have to make a profit at this. If we don't, it, it fails. Okay. So, yes, you take a kibbutz concept and you turn it into capitalism and a cash flow. And I could easily see how they could be the feeder system, especially in third world countries and first world countries, uh, what you call that dearth, you know, where now you have these huge agro farms that way out where there's no population, but they're so far from urban areas. That, that's correct. In other words, um, you know, it's, it's uh, economics of scale, and we are the same. We have these massive farms that are producing. Uh, back in the 1950s, we had a very incredible and very strong what's called food grid. We had thousands, millions of small farms and some big farms, and those got taken apart over the last 40 years for a combination of different reasons. So we have to recreate that. Now, John, the Red Chinese are buying up a lot of farmland. They're paying a premium price, premium price, so that if you have a um, family farm and you, you realize your sons and daughters, they don't want to inherit it. They, they moved on to other things. Or it's even an industrial uh, agricultural farm. And, and the bank is about to foreclose. Right. Uh, the Red Chinese are coming in, and they're buying up massive acreage and farming products. Now, they say they're doing it for their own people because they got a million, excuse me, a billion and a half people. They got to feed them. But is, do you think that's really their goal? Oh, I think that's definitely their goal is to capture our farmland. We have the most productive farmland in the, in the, in the, the, the globe. And, and, and I'm facing that exact situation where I'm the last generation that wants a farm. And I'm at 66, so I have to figure out an exit, and the exit is to create an investment corporation that takes it over. And my neighbor farm just got sold to the Chinese. You know, and, and, Your and so, neighbor's yeah. farm in New Jersey got sold to the Chinese? Yes. How big of a farm? Well, this was uh, 67 acres. And, is and, it, and was it a... a, a a corporate Chinese, or was it just a, a Chinese family? That's Chinese family. Okay. Hmm. And, and so, so what happens is, you know, you can produce a stunning amount of food on a fifty-acre farm. Stunning. 
right? That the, the but but you're putting what the the farmer has to deal with now. Not only does he have to deal with basic farming and mother nature, he has to deal with taxation. Um, um, uh, let's say um, uh, how to fund everything, and now the government, you know, our government keeps on putting on more and more uh, administrative uh, um, issues on small farms, right? They're killing the small farmer. Well, I think I have a a remedy for that. I want to thank you, John Cole, uh, for your information. Uh, And then uh, keep, obviously, alerting everybody out there. I I have the answer, John. It just came to me. Tell me. One of the greatest TV programs of all times. They lived on Park Avenue. Green Acres. Green Acres is the place to be. You and Margo, right? Remember, it was uh, Ava Gabor, right? Not Java Java. Uh, You could, uh, you and uh, Margo. Go Go up to, you know. Up to upstate New York, it's all That's empty. It. We can buy it for nothing. And just think, there'd be an Arnold Ziffel up there. There'd be a little uh, county uh, county store where you get your mail there. You know something? I, I still enjoy watching those shows once in a while. Yeah, but imagine it was all based on a wealthy man. I have a choice of, uh, of going up there and buying a farm or going up to Vermont and buying uh, Bob Newhart's uh, motel. Whoa, Bob's got it on the market. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, know, you relax, and once in a while somebody comes in, there's no mortgage on it, and so, so somebody comes in and just rents a room. Is that on Lake Superior there? I don't know. You know who lives right next door, I think. Who? Bernie the Altacaca Sanders. He got his summer home there. People asked him, where'd you get the money for this, Bernie? How did you pay for this exotic summer home on Lake Superior? Yeah. Well, John Cole, thank you for coming on, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Okay, thank you, gentlemen. Take care.